Welcome and thank you for joining us for episode 9 of the Beer and Bible Podcast. We've made it to episode 9. We've made it to episode 9, which means we've drank 18 beers doing this, roughly. Each. We've drank more than 18 beers. <laughs> but, yes, we've reviewed 18 beers. Reviewed 18 beers. That's a good way to look at it. Mm-hmm. And um, we've had guests now as well, which was kind of crazy. Yeah, three guests and four more on the way. Yeah, we've got some lined up, which is going to be fun. And we're always open for Brian Zan to join us while we're in uh, Missouri next uh, end of the month. Yeah. Yeah, if he listens. We're, we'll bring all of our gear. Yeah, a whole laptop and one uh, microphone. <laughs> <laughs> but um, is it the two of us today, which is fine. We are talking about the life of Abraham mm-hmm. um, today. We kind of like doing these character studies because I think in, at least in church, when it comes to flannel graphs and all that, we hit highlights and we mm-hmm. don't dig into... Um, the connected tissue that joins those stories together. Yeah. I don't think people realize that the Bible is full of good literature. Yeah. Not just good stories even, you know, because the stories, yeah, you have to wade through some of the stuff. You know, there's going to be boring parts where you're writing, reading a whole page of names. Yeah. <laughs> um, that'll come. But at the same time, there's some really in-depth storylines so and good character development. So what you're saying is we're not going to do an overview of the book of Numbers anytime soon? No. No? Or Chronicles. Or Chronicles? No. Not People can read them if they want. Yeah. Yeah. But So looking at the life of Abraham today, and in my perspective is with Abraham, this is where the story kind of narrows in to a certain people group after it being kind of expansed for a mm-hmm. while with creation narrative. <clears throat> and then you have the Tower of Babel where all the people are speaking common language. Yep. And this is kind of pinpointing it down now to one tree, in essence. Yep. Yeah, the Tower of Babel is actually the story leading up to this. And it's interesting because we begin um, the story of Abraham right where the Tower of Babel leaves off. Mm -hmm. Because uh, Abraham uh, and his father and their whole tribe of peoples were from that plain where they built the Tower of Babel. They're from the Shinar Plains um, in Mesopotamia. So it's kind of like you leave off with the Tower of Babel and everybody scatters. Well, this is one of the people that stayed there. Yeah. And um, and for those of you for following along in your Bibles, I don't know if you are or not, but we're in the book of Genesis. Mm-hmm. Roughly going to be between chapters 12 and 15. Um, maybe a bit further than that as well. A lot further. A lot further than that. I'm looking at the notes now. <laughs> we get to Galatians at some point. Um, but, yeah, this is at the beginning of the Bible. I always have people, like, what, what are you talking about? We're mm-hmm. in the book of Genesis to start off with. Mm-hmm. And to start off with the story, Abraham's name's not even Abraham when we start the story. Right. It's Abram. Um, and another interesting thing is really we should – so this is where chapter markers really suck because <laughs> if we're reading this for the first time – there's a really important detail at the end of chapter 11 in Genesis that is inserted there so that it kind of alters your entire frame of mind while you're reading the Abraham story. But the problem is we've all heard the end of the story. You know, any of us that grew up in church, we've already read this or heard it. Yeah. And so we know what's coming. But if this is your first time hearing this, um, or if you could somehow... You know, get one of those, was it Men in Black, where they could erase memories? yeah. (laughs) If you're able to acquire one such device, it would really benefit you to forget everything you know about Abraham and then read the story. Yeah. 
But we need to start with uh, the end of Genesis 11, um, where it's talking about the generations, and it's one of those boring parts um, because it's generation, uh, the generations of Terah, starting in verse 27 of chapter 11, and it says, Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. And Haran died in the presence of the father Terah in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah. The daughter of Haran and the father of Milcah and Isaac. Now Sarah was barren. She had no child. So that little detail is actually really important to the rest of the story. But if you just pick up where it says the call of Abraham on your little title header of chapter chapter 12, 12. um, then you miss that little detail. And it's an important part to the whole story, the whole whole narrative of Abraham. Um, But we will slaughter names today. Yeah, and I probably already did. And those were the short ones. Yeah. So we've got Abram, and we know his wife Sarai, and now we started the story off knowing that Sarah, or Sarai, is barren. She had Mm -hmm. no children and couldn't have have children. children. Yeah. And children of the heritage, that's what you build your tribe mm-hmm. around. Is That's the future mm-hmm. cliche there, right? Yep. And if you were in the ancient times, you're actually imagining, now why would they really even name this woman? Because clearly the children that are going to be so important are going to come through another Number woman. One. Yeah. So, like, why why is this woman's name even there? Yeah, why do they even include her in the story? Because she's not a pivotal point of any normal narrative that was being told at this time because she didn't hold the importance that a wife who could bear children would have had. Yep, exactly. So it's just an interesting little line that's dropped in there right before some Westerner added numbers to the pages. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Starting off about what Abram's life was like, what kind of background he came from um i already mentioned he was from the shinar plains which was one of the largest cities or civilizations one of the most advanced cultures of the time egypt was obviously big already but to the uh, east was what would eventually be babylon Mm -hmm. and so you know fast forward several hundred years and that becomes the world's largest empire so this is the area that will eventually develop into babylon and so he has uh he's been referred to by josephus as like a magi or stargazer so he according to josephus he was classically trained in reading the stars and knowing chaldean magic which is more like just they know things about the physics and the earth that <laughs> common folk but don't know so when you you, you quote um, or you mention josephus yeah who's josephus just for those who are listening yeah he lived at the time of paul who wrote most of the new testament they were contemporaries of each other maybe even knew each other they were both pharisees and josephus wrote an extensive and fairly exhaustive <laughs> history of the jewish people called the antiquities of the jews so when he writes about Abraham, he paints Abraham as this mystical, stargazing, wizardry type character. Yeah. Kind so. of different than we get in the Bible, but it's probably, I mean, it holds weight as well because it's history. 
Yeah, and it's the location. If he was an educated man coming from the location that he was, yeah, we already know he was wealthy. The Bible says he has lots of camels. <laughs> That's a debatable point, but one for another day, maybe. Yep. The other thing is when we talk about him and his household leaving, we don't mean like the American family of the husband, the wife, and the six kids or whatever. Six kids. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. You know, <laughs> Mennonite family. Yeah. Um, we're talking about. Uh, several hundred people. Mm-hmm. His house, there's a chapter later on, which we probably won't get into, but there's a chapter where it talks about the 318 trained warriors who were all born in his house, meaning like they they weren't like acquired elsewhere. They're not mercenaries. These are like his most loyal, dedicated servants and their children. Yeah. So, and more like a tribe of people yeah. moving around than like... A and family jump, yeah. jumping in the Winnebago and going for a trip. Yep, that's just his warriors, 318 warriors. Yeah. So we could be talking somewhere between 500 to 1,000 people when so you talk wife, wives and children. So it's a, a big group of people are moving in the story at the beginning. Yeah, They're yes. up and they're leaving their land, and mm-hmm. we're going to get to it in a minute, where God calls Abram to leave mm-hmm. and leave his father's land. Yep. <clears throat> and actually, um, if you read closely... Uh, Abram's father does some of the travel with him, but then uh, kind of picks a place and just decides to stay. Yeah. And then Abram keeps going. Um, so then in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's like a very big staple passage for understanding the Bible and what is taking place in the grand narrative. That's Mm -hmm. like one of those checkpoints. Like it's kind of given... Abraham's family, his tribe, his his family tree. This mm-hmm. is what you're going. This is what I would desire for you to be for the rest of creation as you go out into it. Yep. I desire for you to be a great nation that blesses other nations. Mm-hmm. And it's almost a counter narrative to the Tower of Babel, where they're trying to make a great name for themselves by building the tower to get to the heavens. And now God takes Abram aside and says, "I'm going to make you that great nation." And the almost the rest <clears throat> of at least the Old Testament, the New Testament, even now, is the, the struggle of them fulfilling that purpose, of mm-hmm. Abram's family fulfilling that, and God still being, uh, fulfilling his promise to them. Yep. And if you want to talk about nation building, like nation building 101 is you don't build a nation to bless the other nations. You build a nation so that you have strong national defense. Yeah. And so that you are prosperous, even if it comes at the... Um, the, the expense of others. of others, yeah. Yeah. So this is a very different type of nation than the other nations that are being built. The Egypts and the Babylons yeah. that are coming yeah. up and building their walls around right. for protection to keep others out. Right. Where Abram's kind of edict from God is, I'm mm-hmm. going to use you to bless everybody else. Yep. Not to build the walls to divide and conquer. Yep. That's what they end up doing throughout history. Right. Yeah. But that what? wasn't their intention. <clears throat> God's intention. Right. So it's a very interesting passage. It comes up, um, uh, Abraham is a very important character to Paul, which we'll see later. So this passage here, Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, that is just one of those that you should highlight if you're a highlighter or um, remember 
those words that in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed because that is Israel's original purpose. And this is apart from people who say, well, Jesus came from Abram's line and that was the blessing that Mm -hmm. God was intending. This is God's like saying down the road, I'll bless everybody through Jesus. But we're narrowing it down and say that's that's the future tense of what was going to happen. But God is instructing Abram at this time that he will be a blessing in the moment mm-hmm. to all those around him and his gener- his offspring should also be a blessing to all nations yep. in their present not thinking yep. oh god's going to bless everybody through jesus mm-hmm. 2000 years later yep or a lot more than 2000 but yeah and in the context of the fact that we just finished the tower of babel story where there was a nation like you said trying to make a name for itself well just you know their languages were confused they all split up and they all go start they're running off to start their own nations yeah well they're going to start nations that look a lot like the one that they were just trying to start they're going to go make a name for themselves and this nation is supposed to be just completely different yeah and it's a it's a promise it's interesting because it's a vow that god makes to abraham or at this point it's abram Mm mm-hmm um, but God makes this promise, and he doesn't require anything really of Abraham other than to leave. Yeah, there's no home. like real conditions. If you continue to obey me, then yeah. you'll be a blessing. Yeah. So then uh, they depart, and they leave for Canaan, which is, uh, we'll find out later, is the promised land. And God declares that he will give this land to Abram's offspring in Genesis 12. And then later in Genesis 12, Abram and Sarai, um, they go to Egypt. Which is a nation. Yes, it's a very large empire nation. So it's kind of like, hey, leave the empire. And then they go to the place they're supposed to be at, and then they wander to the next (laughs) available empire. (laughs) Yeah. And Um, and the reason they do it, it says says in uh, Genesis 12, is there was a famine. Yeah. And we see that kind of... We go to Joseph yep. and they go to all these things and they tie this idea of going back to the empires because of mm-hmm. their need for food. Yep, it's a reoccurring theme. Yep, totally. Yep, and so they go there and the interesting thing happens there at um, Egypt. Um, Abram is like, hey, wife, you are gorgeous and I'm a little concerned that if they see us together, they'll kill me and take you as their wife. You know, Pharaoh will. She might take it as a compliment. <laughs> She's like, yeah. I look that good, they're going to kill you? Yeah. But so, so, wife, just go ahead and tell Pharaoh that you're my sister. That way they'll treat me well on account of you. Um, so, at this <laughs> point, we presume they've been married for a while. And before we just feel like Abraham, you scuzzbag, um, he believes that God's going to fulfill this promise through him. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing has been said about Sarah, like until now. From that when she is barren to yeah, you know yeah. she she's not she has not been told, nor has Abraham been told or Abram. I'm gonna just screw that up this whole time. I mean the same person. Um, he's not Abraham yet, but they haven't been told that that promise is gonna come through her. And in an ancient Near Eastern culture where concubines and second wives, third wives, fifth wives were completely acceptable. Yay, biblical marriage. The way that we should read this story is, well, you know, she's expendable. He's not. Yeah. He can't die or else God's promise fails. Her, eh, 
we can do without her. And it sounds terrible, but that's yeah. like what the the narrator the narrator's telling us is like here's this woman, she's barren, so promise isn't gonna happen through her. So Abram's gotta survive and he's gotta find someone that can make babies for him. So he's doing he's surviving. Yeah. He's like, Yeah, if I tell them that I'm your husband, they might kill me to to get to you. So mm-hmm. Hey, God made us a promise yep. back there, so yep. I got it's going to be fulfilled through me. Yeah, which it is kind of crazy that that's immediately where his mind goes. He was probably <laughs> a very scared man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're walking into somebody else's dom- domain, and yep. and, pro- and I mean, we think of it in terms of today. People don't tend to kill each other for each other's spouses, but back then, you saw some. Well, they might. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> who watch too much HBO? Who knows? But the whole idea that. Um, you want to have something that you want, and you will kill to get it. Mm-hmm. And that happened quite often there. It's pretty iconic of empires at large. Yeah. See something you want, see the obstacle in the way, destroy the obstacle. <clears throat> yep. Not being a blessing to other nations. <laughs> right. Right. So there's that whole episode, and then you had brought up when we were um, running through the notes that there's a plague that comes on the house of Pharaoh because he does take Abraham's wife. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, sure. You, She's your sister. I can take yeah, her. Yep. And then uh, it comes out that they lied and that she's really belongs to Abraham. And Pharaoh's mad. But in order to appease God, he gives Sarah back and gives them tons of wealth and riches and says, be on your merry way. Don't lie to me again. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, oh, you're the God that you're with is extremely powerful. How yep. about you uh, don't lie to me next time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And go, go your way. Here's yep. everything you need. Here's your wife back. Yep. It's an um, interesting little interaction. Yeah. Um, so that's in Genesis 12, if you want to read through that. Um, we've got a lot of ground to cover, so we're kind of like going to highlight certain things. And then um, I kind of want to expose some of the stories that I feel like we're in the um, shadows of our flannel graphs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the things that didn't come out in Sunday school. So then uh, in Genesis 13... Um, Abraham's nephew, Lot. Sorry about the distraction there. We had a visitor. Um, uh, Anyway, what we were talking about was... Abraham and Lot. Abraham and Lot. Yep. Lot is Abraham's nephew. And they get to this land that they are told they can divide and separate and graze their sheep there. And... Abram, being the swell guy that he is, trying to put this whole bless the other peoples um, to the test, he offers his nephew the first choice of land. And so Lot chooses all this fertile land that's right next to Sodom, and Abram chooses, or is left with, the remainder, which is more barren or less ideal. So they're given, um, Abram's given this choice, and he's talking about which way to go, Mm -hmm. and he gives his nephew... The better land. The better land. Yeah. Because do you think he's doing this out of, and I guess this is like, reading, is this, I don't know if this is reading too much into this, that he's living out the being blessings to other people? I don't think it's reading too much into it. I think like, that, I think he is a good guy, um, but he also might be a little bit of a pushover. I mean, he just gave his wife away. Yeah, he gave his wife away. <laughs> you know, so. Scared of his nephew, maybe. I don't know. But yeah, so, they, so Abram gets the worst of the land, even though... Yep. He's got livestock, he's got his camels, his sheep, and all that. Yep. And this is how he makes a living. Yeah. And he's still traveling with his whole tribe. 
Yeah. He's not traveling just with like yeah. his little family. He's units. still feeding, remember, hundreds, if not a thousand people. Yeah. Um, and he's got all the livestock that comes along with feeding that many people. It's a lot of stuff. Yeah. It's moving whole, whole mm-hmm. nations. So what happens there is the iconic um, destruction of, or actually, not yet. No. So the first rescue of Lot, Abraham has to do, because uh, there's this whole proxy war with the um, the kings of the lands. There's several kings, all whose names I would butcher. Um, but you can read about it in Genesis 14. There's all these kings. They rise up. They go to war together. And Lot and his family gets taken captive. So they get pulled away. And uh, somebody survives the fight, runs to Abraham, says, Hey, uh, your nephew Lot and his family were taken with all these captives. And Abram and the fighting men of his household chase them down and um, just there's a bloodbath that ensues and they get Lot back. Yeah. And when we're talking <clears throat> about saving Lot or rescuing Lot, again, we're not talking about one individual. Right. We're talking about that tribe. So yeah. in this part of the world at this time, there are nomadic tribes that are moving around from mm-hmm. place to place to find the best place to graze, the best place to settle. Mm-hmm. And once they get re- use up the resources, they move mm-hmm. to the next place. So you have a whole group of them moving around. Mm-hmm. And then you have like um, Egypt that is established. And Lot goes towards a place that's ob- probably inhabited already mm-hmm. and loses a war. Yep. And exactly. gets taken captive. And Abram comes. And it's interesting because Abram uses force. He uses violence. Mm-hmm. And he has all those, the 300-something strong men that he Mm -hmm. goes to do his bidding Mm -hmm. and saves Lot and then brings Lot back into the fold almost. Yep. And then there's this very bizarre passage that actually comes up again in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews about this um, man named Melchizedek who we're told is a priest but he's also a king, and he's the king of Salem, which is peace. So here is a kingly priest who is king of the city of peace. And he shows up, and Abraham uh, blesses him, gives him a tenth of his earnings, um, which is where the idea of the tithe comes from. And this is a tenth of the spoils after saving Lot. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Tenth of the spoils of the war. Um, but it's just a very interesting interaction and one that gets no more real credit until the New Testament. And it seems almost out of place. Yeah, Because this is before the sacrificial system and the priestly system are Mm -hmm. are put in place. Yeah. And it says that this man is a priest, that he is the... He's a priest of Yahweh. Yeah. Before Uh, the Mosaic Law, before Moses, before all these things. Which... What makes that really interesting is that the only logical explanation here is time travel. Time travel? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, it, so it, that, is, it is interesting. Like you said, it's just out of place. Yeah. Um, it's like, no, you're not supposed to exist yet, and why are you a priest and a king? king? And the 10%, yep. the whole, yep. like, tithe yep. idea. Yep, and where is this city of Salem, and why isn't it talked about more mm-hmm. throughout the Old Testament? And is there some imagery to the idea of peace here as well? Mm-hmm. I mean... That you, that a uh, king or a priest who is a priest of Yahweh is the king of or the king of a, of a land or a city, whatever called peace, mm-hmm. 
kind of the counter of the complete opposite of what Abram just did in going and shedding blood. Yep. Yeah, it is very just like I said, it's a very interesting passage. Um, there's this line where it says, "In Melchizedek, king of Salem." This is in verse 18 of chapter 14. In Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possession of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. And then it goes back to a narrative between the king of Sodom and Abraham, um, who they're apparently kind of okay with each other at this point. Almost like political allies. Yeah, we're not going to kill each other yet. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, that is interestingly inserted in there. And like you said, it's not mentioned again until the really author of Hebrews. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, it's there for a reason, obviously, and we can debate the reasons why. But for me, it's shown the evidence that the idea of worshiping Yahweh was instituted way before the law told them how they were supposed to do it. Mm-hmm. And this idea of the priest was there as well. And it's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's something we can dive into definitely another. Yep. I'm sure there are lots of good um, academic level banters back and forth about it too. Time travel is the interesting one. <laughs> so this is how Moses was able to afford to. I was completely joking <laughs> about that, but it's fun. So um, Abraham, in chapter 15, starts having some weird dreams about God's covenant and how that's going to play out. And um, then we get to Genesis chapter 16. And in Genesis chapter 16, um, starting in verse 1, it says, Now Sarah, uh, Abram's wife, had borne no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, that means sex, it may be so that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. Now this is like perfectly legal. This is all above board. Like nobody bats an eye at this. This is just... It's normal. Yep. It's very important that men carry on their lineage and their line, and it's actually kind of rare for a man to only have one wife at this point in Israel's Mm -hmm. history or ancient Near Eastern cultures. So this is all very above board, and nobody should, even though in the Western civilizations we, uh, we frown upon this activity, this is actually just them saying, like, and even Sarah getting on board saying, hey, God has promised to bless you, and it's not going to happen through me. Yeah, and she even blames God here. It's interesting. She says yeah. that um, the, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Exactly. So she's like, clearly all these promises are for you and someone else. Yeah. And so brave woman gives her <laughs> gives her Egyptian, which that's interesting, because every time you hear Egypt or Egyptian in the Bible, it should make you stop for a second and think, huh, because Egypt's kind of a big deal in yeah. the biblical narrative. So an Egyptian slave woman um, is now given to Abram to carry on the promise. 
I mean, that's if we don't know the end of the story, that's what we should be believing right now. Yeah, that, that should the, be our the promise that God yeah. gave Abram back in the couple chapters ago. Sarah's allowing it to become re- realized by giving him Hagar. Yep, exactly. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when the wording she, is perfect. <laughs> and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. What I love about these stories is they show little snippets of real life. Mm-hmm. Like, here's a girl who was given, you know, she had no choice in the matter. Yeah. She's given to an older man, and when she finds out she's pregnant, she's bitter against the woman that gave her away. Both because she knows that child is not going to be her own, and because... Um, she was given away. I mean, it's... She had no choice. Yeah, it's yeah. just a very... Why wouldn't she looked with look with contempt at her master? Mm-hmm. So, um, it says, and then in verse 5, And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. It's almost like throwing it back in Abram's face. Yeah. Like, wait a second, this was your idea. <laughs> Why did you get her pregnant? Yeah, like she's the, mad at me now. Yeah, the the character development and the arguments. You know, it, it takes a while to really read the Bible and be able to pick up on the language. It's almost like Shakespeare, to yeah. where it feels coded or foreign. But once the story opens up, it's really rich, and there's a lot of character development and. Just the irony of here, it's not going to happen through me, so take my slave. Hey, she's mad at me. Well, human nature would presuppose that she's going to be, be mad, mad at you. Yeah. And then the whole, may the Lord judge between you and me, as if now Abram's on trial. Yeah. Um, so then Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So this poor woman is stuck between this couple. We have, no, we have no idea how old she is. Yeah. She could, she be, could be a child. I mean, she could have been a, a young teenager. teenager. Yep. And our second visitor of the night. We had a second visitor. It sounds like they're having the Women's Fellowship meeting downstairs. There you go. So what I was what I was saying is you've got this poor, poor young lady <laughs> who's stuck between Abram and Sarai. Uh-huh. And Sarah is kind of like, have her, the promise can be fulfilled through her, and I'll uh-huh. still take the child. And then Hagar gets upset, obviously. She gets pregnant. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of at odds at each other, with each other now. Yeah. And Abram's like, just take care of her yourself. Well, and legally, legally speaking, and this is what gets really hard for us to understand, but Hagar has no legal right to that child. Yeah. That is not her child once it's born. It's Sarah's child. Because she belongs to Sarah. Exactly. She's property. And it's terrible. Like, it's really hard, but we have to kind of disavow or disconnect from our Western civilization and realize that this was all above board behavior. This was okay in their culture at the time. This was, it wasn't frowned upon. No, there's plenty of things in the Bible that are frowned upon, but all this is legal and kind of above board. I mean, it's, it's decent behavior i guess and just the wording at the end of that that you read then sarah dealt w- with her harshly and she fled, and she fled. yep i mean you can read into that all you want did she beat her what, what, what did she do 
Right. Jeez. Well, and Abram rolling over again, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Yeah. He's like not taking it's any. Like, he's like, this is all your pro- problem. Yep. Deal with yeah. it. Yep. This is kind of a reoccurring thing with Abram. Now, we will come upon a really interesting thing where he becomes very bold. Very, very bold. And it's really interesting because that part of the story stands in stark contrast to all these little experiences where we've seen him just be like, ah, <laughs> roll over. <laughs> yeah. Run away from the problem. Yep. Oh, they'll think you're pretty. Uh, tell them you're my sister. Sorry. Followed by, um, oh, uh, you want me to sleep with your slave. Okay. That, whatever you say, Sorry. honey. Yeah. Followed by, <laughs> oh, she's pregnant. Great. The promise can happen. Oh, wait, she's your servant. Deal with her however you wish. Yeah. He's like trying to appease Sarai the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it says, The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from, and to where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for the multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because of the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over and against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing, for she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Beer... <laughs> oh man, let's just leave it at Beer. It was the well <laughs> called Beer. Beer Lahairoi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the son, the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So, interesting subplot here. Ishmael is the father of what modern-day um, the modern-day Islamist movement says, this is where we began. Yeah. We are the rightful heirs of the promise. Because of the firstborn child. Yep. Yep. And so that's why there's still so much fighting back and forth is because they believe both according to the legal matters and because of the context of the story that they are the rightful heirs to the promise of God for that land, for the promise, um, and that God is going to um, redeem the world through their movement rather than the Hebrew movement. Through Ishmael's line. Yeah. yeah. So... There's a lot of current cultural events that are happening today because of this moment. Yeah. And it's interesting because, I mean, Ishmael means God hears. Mm -hmm. And it's this idea that she runs away and God finds her and God hears her. God comforts her and God Mm -hmm. gives her the same promise saying that your your line will be a multitude of people. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like an like almost maybe reading into it a little bit too much. Hey, this is. Not your fault. This is a predicament that you have been placed in. Mm -hmm. And I will still comfort you, be with you, and support you. And and Mm -hmm. your line will still be multitude of people. Mm -hmm. 
Now, the other thing that is interesting here is the wording that she uses when she says, you are a God of seeing. It's actually more accurate to say, you are a God who sees me. And we get that whole, like, it's popular again to say, I see you. Yeah. You know, like, I, I get where you're coming from. I see you. I see you. And that's what she says about God. She says, you are the God that sees me. Yeah. You know, and it's. This God who is a God who's orchestrating nations sees the Egyptian slave girl who is just forced into um, a essentially surrogate motherhood. And God sees her, sees her plight and promise, makes a promise to her. Yeah, because in her culture, she's, she's, for lack of a better word, worthless. She has no value. She's worth less than most of the livestock. Yeah. Which is, again, it sounds terrible to say, but that's like that's the, the culture. culture of the time. Yeah, yeah. And and God comes and says, and he she sees she sees that God shows interest in her plight, mm-hmm. not only because she's good, but even in her in her in her suffering, yep. God is there. Yep. And chapter seventeen. <laughs> in chapter seventeen, it starts off with Abraham as a ninety-nine-year-old man. That's He's old. old. Yeah. I mean, he had Ishmael at 86. Yep. And so we've come up to the part of the story where a couple of people recently at one of our Bible studies realized, wait, Abram's not Jewish? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Interesting. Uh, well, this is brought up by Paul. This is used by Paul in the book of Romans and in the book of Galatians to explain that God is a God of all peoples, not just of the circumcised Jews. Mm -hmm. So he says, um, God reaffirms his promise to Abram and states that all the males of Abram's household and family ought to be circumcised. This is so that they can be set apart from the other peoples of the world. And this is the moment where God changes his name to Abraham. So I can stop screwing that up now. And God notifies Abraham that his wife, Sarah, um, he changes her name too. And Sarah is going to conceive at 90 years old and bear a son. Not many mothers listening would want to undertake childbirth at the (laughs) age of 90. I don't know many 99-year-old men who would want to undergo circumcision either. I'm not comparing the two. (laughs) Don't don't Uh, compare. Uh, A little flint stone. Um so, so it's a bloody chapter um, because Abram and all of the men of his household, no matter what age they are, they're circumcised. And again, we're talking about a whole tribe of people who are moving around yep. over a hundred, over 500 maybe people. Yep. So even if half of them are men, you got to, I mean, who, the poor guy who was, entire, <laughs> who was, who Abram's like, you got to do this to everybody. <laughs> the witch doctor of the tribe. Yep, Exactly. Make sure the, sh- the stone is sharp. sharp. Um, so that's uh, chapter 17 of Genesis. And, and again, like you said, God is reaffirming his promise to Abraham. Yep. And this is the first time where he makes it clear that it's going to happen through Sarah. Yeah. So then there's this moment where Abram, Abraham is clearly going feeling like, uh-oh, maybe I screwed up because my firstborn is now this Ishmael. Yeah. And... Now you're telling me the promise is actually going to be through the secondborn. Which, which is, again, a counter to the culture of the time. Yep. But it's actually, within the Bible, it's a reoccurring theme. Yeah. Think of Jacob and Esau. Esau. Yep. Um, 
Joseph is one of the youngest. David mm-hmm. is one of the youngest. So re- the reoccurring theme throughout the Bible is look to the younger son because that ends up being the one that the story's about. Yeah. Um, prodigal son. Prodigal son. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Genesis 18. Yahweh appears to Abraham along with two other men and he offers them food and water. And it turns out that the Lord is on official business. He's there with some scouts. And um, this is where we'll pick up in Genesis 18, 20 through 21. Do you feel like screwing up some names this time? I will screw up some names for everybody today. So this is Genesis chapter 18, verses 20 through 33. Um, Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down and see whether they have, sorry, whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, but put the righteous to death with the wicked, so the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find if I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abram answered, Abraham answered, now I'm saying Abram instead of Abraham. <laughs> yeah, Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I am, I am who but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again he spoke to him and said, Suppose only forty are found there, he answered. For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty be found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And and he said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. He answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, O let the Lord not be angry, and I will speak but this once. Suppose ten are found there. And he answered, For the sake of ten I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. (laughs) That just reminded me of an interaction with my five-year-old. The whole bartering down, like, oh gosh. God is a patient God. This is that (laughs) passage where I said Abraham, Abraham will do something that takes a lot of boldness. Yeah. Um, Sodom, he knows Sodom is wicked. You know, he he's neighbors with Sodom. <laughs> he says um, he was at peace with Sodom. Right. He was yeah. at peace with the king of Sodom, but he knows that it's a wicked city. Yeah. <clears throat> and he here he shows up and he pulls God aside, essentially, because the other men, they're leaving. And it's almost as if he, like, comes near to the Lord before he leaves and is like, hey, you know, suppose, you know, you can't really, you're not going to destroy the whole city for, you know, their wickedness, right? And so then he goes into and says, you know, surely you're a just God. You know, he, he like lays it out for God. Yeah. And then turns around and reassumes his timid position of, well, what about 50? What about 45? What about 40? What about 
<laughs> all, so the way, all the way down to 10. Um, and so then the Lord goes on his way and turns out there aren't 10 righteous people in the whole city. And so, yeah, there's no, the, yeah, which is disturbing. <laughs> yeah. And then it picks up in chapter 19, which is just a very disturbing chapter. Yeah. It's you one, described it as one of the most disturbing chapters in the Bible. Yeah. I really think it is. It's just, there's a lot of terrible stuff that happens. So... One, a whole city is divinely judged and... Well, why were they judged? Um, if you... Well, it depends. If you're a evangelical, westernized Christian, you would say it's because their name is Sodom and that has something to do with sodomy. Therefore, their sin was uh, something to do with homosexuality. That's circular reasoning. Yep. It, well, it's western <laughs> yeah. disconnected reasoning. Uh, but that's not what the Bible says. You can read Ezekiel chapter 16, and the narrative goes, um, God is talking to Israel um, through a prophet, uh, through the prophet Ezekiel, and he says, Your sin is the same as that of your sister Sodom. You had luxurious wealth, prosperous eads, um, yet you were cruel to the foreigners among you, and there was great disparity of wealth. Being the opposite of what God had told Abram to be at the beginning, being right. a blessing to the, everybody around him. Yep. Sodom was centralizing their wealth, their food, and everything, and yep. even neglecting their own inside yep. their walls. Yep. Well, and in Genesis 19, we can pick up there because as the divine messengers, the angels, or whoever they are, when they come into the city, um, it's very careful to say that every last man of the city came down and demanded that the men be brought out to them so that they may know them. Because the, the the messengers, angels, whichever you want to look at, they went to visit Lot. They're at Lot's house, correct? Well, they they decided um, that God begged for Lot's life because Lot Abram did, or Abraham. Abram did. Abraham was told that there aren't that many righteous people and that there's nobody worth saving there. And he says, "Oh, but please save my nephew Lot." And so they go on a reconnaissance mission to go save Lot and bring him out of the city. Um, and that's why these divine messengers are now there. And they go into his house. And this is where things get really disturbing. So a mob assembles outside and they say, bring those two um, foreigners out here so that we can have our way with them. So they want to gang rape the two guys. And that's that's contextually where... <clears throat> Westerners have typically said, well, clearly, look, they want <laughs> to have sex with the angels. But, um, so there is that. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's an ugly moment in the story. But it's more about how they treat their visitors than it is w the action. Because there's nothing consensual between what's, what, they're, what they're asking for. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, Again, this is not about homosexuality. Yeah. This is about the way you treat foreigners. Mm -hmm. It's about immigration. It's about all those political things that we don't want to talk about. So it's easier to just say it's about homosexuality. But yeah. it's not. So they demand that those men be brought out. Lot says, sorry, can't do it. I'm going to be good to these guys. <laughs> they uh, they appear to be divine of some nature. Um so, no, you can't have them. But my daughters are both virgins. You can, you know, have your way with them. And it's just disturbing. It's crazy. But um, the angels aren't going to have any of that. 
so the angels actually strike everybody outside with blindness. It says that while Lot's still out there, the men try and push past Lot to get into the house. The angels pull him in, and they strike the crowd with blindness, and then Lot and his family are able to escape. While they're escaping is our flannel graph narrative where <laughs> Lot's wife is like, oh, my beloved city, my house, I forgot my cell phone, and turns around and looks at it and um, becomes a pillar of salt. And so then they go up to a cave, and this is where things it get really It gets even more dicey. disturbing, yeah. doesn't it? This is... Yeah. So up in the cave, they believe that the world is ending. Well, they just saw something fall from the sky and destroy their city. Yeah, yeah, that is the description of the events, is something falls from the sky, massive explosion. I don't know what the whole turning around, turning to salt is. I know that there's people that have tried to, through science, rationalize this whole event. I don't know how one person would turn around and turn to salt. And not the something. rest of the yeah. tribe that's leaving. Yeah, yeah, not the rest of the people that are fleeing. Um, but something happened. The city was destroyed. Um, there's been a lot of archaeological digs in that area trying to find Sodom. And there's been some people that think they may have, some people that aren't sure. All they find is pillars of salt. Weird stuff. <laughs> yep, yep. There's a pillar of salt, salt somewhere. Lots <laughs> Perfectly wide. preserved. Yeah. So they, they're up in this cave, and they believe the world has kind of ended. You know, there's no other humans around. They already yep. got destroyed. Lot's wife is dead. Um, and the daughters well-intentioned, maybe misdirected. Um, they went from nearly being handed off to a gang- angry mob to be gang-raped to turning around and saying, we should provide our father with children. And so they get him really drunk because they know that he's not going to do it when well, he's sober. Yeah. So they, these two daughters get their father drunk, and then one daughter goes in with him and... Um, uh, conceives and then she tells her sister the next night look I got our father plastered and I went in with him and I'm going to bear children by his name you should do the same other sister says okay let's get him drunk again you know that's the whole fool me twice thing Yeah. You know. so he I wonder this is one of those moments where like there's so little detail given that it just makes you angry because yeah, yeah, you want to be mad at somebody about this whole scenario. But the, see, they're doing it because they want the line to continue. And they think there's no other human. The, the, the yeah. race is over. I mean, the yeah, they're hiding in caves. Yeah. So they both um, become impregnated, and then this interesting line that may not mean anything to most readers, but is actually very important. It says that the um, that their children, that one of the daughters would um, have a son, and it would be the father of the Moabites. And the other daughter would have a son, and it would be the father of the Amorites. Those are two like lifelong sworn enemies of the Israelite people. So here in this moment of complete disparity and you know, trying to make things work in their own way, they bring about the two major enemies of Israel. Yeah. Because the Amorites and the Moabites, if you read throughout Kings the and Exodus, Chronicles yeah. and Exodus and all that, they're, yeah. they're there. They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're reoccurring as the, like, the enemies of Israel. 
The Moabites are one of the peoples that I believe are expressly forbidden from uh, marrying. marrying. Like you cannot marry a Moabite, even if, even if they want to become an Israelite, you yeah. cannot let them in. And then Ruth was a Moabite. Yeah, interesting sub fact. Yeah. Ruth was a Moabite woman. <clears throat> so, yeah, very heavy, heavy chapter leaves us with tons of questions and doesn't give a lot of answers and I think that's kind of deliberate. You're left to kind of feel the tragedy of it. Yeah, you're kind of left to feel that Lot has lost everything. Yeah. And now he's in shame because his daughters have been impregnated by him. Mm-hmm. And And it turns out the world's not over. Yeah. Like <laughs> there's more people out life, there. Life Snap. will go on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean Abraham's out Abraham is still out there. Yeah. In the story. So yep. So then Genesis 20 um, is a repeat of the whole. So you might think that Abraham has gained some stones, you know. He's, he stood up to God. Yeah, he stood up to God, but now he goes to um, the king of Gerar, and this king's name is Abimelech, and he gives his wife to Abimelech, says, hey, tell him you're my sister. <laughs> it worked in Egypt. <laughs> Let's do this again. It worked perfectly fine. And he also is struck with plagues, and the same scenario repeats. So it's almost as if the writer's telling us, like, look, we've gone through many chapters now. This podcast is now X number of hours. (laughs) (laughs) And yet Abraham is still kind of the same guy that he was. And it's, it's supposed to humble us right here. Like, we're supposed to kind of take a step back and be like, we thought we were going somewhere. <laughs> and we're back to square one. Yep. In Genesis chapter 21. We have the story that everybody knows. Now yep, this is where people it. pick it up. No, you're good. Isaac is born. Yep. Isaac is born to Sarah and Abraham. Mm-hmm. And the, the, this is the, I mean, you write here that, that Hagar laughs at Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, yep. Yeah. And then Sarah has her son away. Like, I don't want you anymore. And right. Ishmael and Hagar leave. Yeah. Well, when Sarah finds out she's pregnant, she's actually a little... She's excited, but she's perturbed. She's like, people are going to laugh at me. I'm old. I'm old. <laughs> you know? And just the idea or the image... Uh, let's not go down the image route, but the idea of a 90-plus-year-old woman giving birth. I mean, if a 90-year-old woman in our church stood up and said... I'm blessed by God. I'm pregnant right now. I mean, if we would just be like, oh, gosh. Somebody would have her committed. Committed, yeah. Um, so there's this moment where Sarah says, they're going to laugh at me. And then, of course, who laughs at her? Hagar laughs at her. So she demands that Hagar be sent away. And this is another moment of weakness for Abram because Abraham um, loves his son, Ishmael. And he looks to God for guidance, and God says, "Go ahead and do what your wife says." <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that's like the total counter narrative of what you think God might say. Like exactly, like, what do you mean? But it's okay, like God has already made His promise to Hagar. Yeah. So there is that. You know, God mm-hmm. has already found her out in the wilderness once before and said, "Hey, I'm going to take care of you. I'll find you again." Yep. And, and he does. Yep. And so, I don't know about your flannel graphs, but I had this part in my flannel graph where. The child goes. The child and the mother, which he's now like in his teen years, they go out into the wilderness, and he's famished. He's dying of thirst because they're in the wilderness. And then God comes and ministers to them, brings them food and water. And it's, it's a nice to see 
God continuing his promise mm-hmm. with Hagar. Yep. Despite how she's not worth much in the culture and how mm-hmm. kind of Abram and Sarah have kind of cast them away. God is still faithful to them even though their tribe is not being faithful to mm-hmm. them. What's extremely interesting about the Bible is that it does not care to keep a... They don't try to make everything polished. Yeah. Like, they are more than willing to leave these little bits about God making a promise to make Ishmael, who would later become enemies of the Israelites, um, a great nation. Like, God makes a promise to them as well. Yeah. Like, who is this God that makes promises with multiple nations? He's not supposed to do that. He's our God. He's our Yahweh. (laughs) We want him to ourselves, yep. which is the counter-narrative to being a blessing to everybody. They're trying yep. to keep him to themselves still. Yep. So this is a God that makes promises with many nations, and that seems ridiculous in their time. So then in Genesis 22, I would say this is the story more that everybody remembers, is the sacrifice of Isaac, or at least the commanded sacrifice of Isaac. Um, this is the moment where Abram has the iconic moment where he hears from God, like, you need to take Isaac up on this mountain and sacrifice him. And Isaac willingly carries the firewood <laughs> and uh, asks along the way. It's a three-day journey. So somewhere, trip. somewhere along the trip, he's wondering where the sheep are at. Mm-hmm. And he says, so, you know, where's the sheep? I remember this story quite vividly because it was the first story I ever gave a sermon on when I was oh, really? in high, when I was in high school. We did, we had like I went to a Christian high school, so all the seniors had to give like a a sermon or something in chapel, and I picked this one. And the whole like, what are you not willing to give up for God? And if you're willing to give it up, He'll give it back to you. And, and I'm seeing the complete heresy and all that right now. <laughs> Well, you should take it from here then. I don't remember. Continue, heretic. Um, I've been called that multiple times, but that's good. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, so you got Abram, Abraham who's going up to the mountain to sacrifice his uh-huh. son. And his son asks very poignant questions. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham's response is, God will provide. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel that Abraham had faith or had this, I don't know, this hope maybe. Mm-hmm that I'm not going to have to kill my son. There is a woman, she's a professor, uh, named Christine Hayes. Uh, You can find her on YouTube. Uh, There's tons and tons of videos of her teaching classes at Harvard and Yale and um, other prestigious divinity schools. And she gets very passionate about this part. (laughs) Like, she... She was giving me chills because she's like, we totally underappreciate the literature and the skill of the narrator that here we have, remember, we're not supposed to know that Isaac lives. Yeah. You know, it's so easy to just remember that and think, oh, well, you know, this is just an archetype for Jesus, (laughs) you know, or something along those lines. Like we want to push it off and make it about something else when we're reading it. But the reality is, here's the whole promise to Abraham hanging in the balance. You know, before when it wasn't about Sarah's offspring, when it was about just, Abraham, you're going to have an offspring. 
Well, that's fine. You know, Abraham, you know, he's not 100 years old, but he can <laughs> still get around. You know, if it was just about that. But here's a barren woman who miraculously conceives, and now it's that child. And she's up in age. Yeah. So it's not like... She doesn't want to do it again. again. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, honey, not again. Um, so we just, we devalued the text. Yeah. By knowing the ending. Spoiler alert. You know, like it's, it loses its punch. And that's a hard thing to, to do from a pulpit or even to do on a podcast because 85% of people know the end of the story. I most more. most, most atheists know this story because I want to say it's, uh, is it Christopher Hitchens likes to tell this story about the monster God? God, yeah. So like even this story is well known amongst atheists. It's well known amongst multiple cultures and they know the end yeah we all know the end but what's hanging in the balance is many things one of the things that's hanging in the balance is what kind of god is this is this a god like the other canaanite gods that demands child sacrifice because it was common or it happened yep in this time yep yeah most there was many periods of most cultures that demanded child sacrifice at one point or another they just Side note, um, Mayan culture, or down in uh, South America, I believe it was Mayan or Incan, they just found a mass burial of children that were sacrificed. So it's like, it was no respecter of place or persons. Like, almost every culture went through this phase in the ancient world of believing that a child was pure, and if you offered up a child to the gods, it would appease them. And then everything went well for you from that point on. Because you've appeased the god. (laughs) Yep. So there's that. I mean, that's hanging in the balance is what kind of God is this? Yeah. You know, this God must be like all the other Canaanite gods. So do you think that the story, this story, the person who's telling it is trying to kind of go back to the Genesis account of creation of this is, this is the God that you are worshiping. It is different than all the other gods that are out there. And this is reaffirming that all the other gods out there are calling for sacrifice of children. And this is a story where he does, but there's the twist. This is this is supposed to be extremely suspenseful. Yeah. This is like binge-worthy Netflix. <laughs> you know, this is supposed to be, you're on the edge of your seat because God, his reputation is hanging in the balance. His yeah. promise is hanging in the balance. Abraham's character, I mean, who's been quite <laughs> shy and cowardly to this point, is hanging in the balance. Mm-hmm. Every major character of this story, as well as a promise that's supposed to benefit all of humanity, is all hanging by a thread. And it's supposed to be a lot more exciting than the flannel graphs that we had <laughs> growing up, because this moment is critical. It is the the climax of the entire Abraham story. Is he going to do it? Mm-hmm. Is he going to be obedient or not? Yep. And or is it, God going to be faithful? And you can feel the cliffhanger approach where it says that even he has the knife raised. Like, And we're left out all these details. Yeah. Um, and this is something that Christine Hayes, um, again, you should look her up, but Christine Hayes brings up, we're not told if um, Isaac struggled. Yeah. You know, here's a young man and a hundred plus year old father. Did he just willingly say, okay, Father, tie me up? I'm going to vote no. <laughs> <laughs> Did Was there what conversations were had yeah. outside of just God will provide? Yeah. Like there's so many um, voids in the story 
designed to make us think, but we don't do that when we read the text. We just rush past things. God's going to provide you know, the sacrifice at so the end. So what's that he the needs. point here? Yeah, you know, the point is you're supposed to experience it, mm-hmm. and then we're supposed to talk about it and continue talking about it and debate about it. And that's one thing that's beautiful about the scriptures is that we we should experience the stories and not jump to the. Mm-hmm theological conclusions at the end. Right. We're talking about the foreshadowing necessarily all the time. Right. Is that The suspense. Mm-hmm. Did J- did Isaac argue with Abraham? Hey, Dad, I really think this isn't a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, how about you don't kill me today? God, <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah, Abraham, uh, father, you're supposed to have many sons, and you're not going to have any more <laughs> without me. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and at this point, this is the other interesting part that maybe doesn't jump off the page at you, but um, Abraham has just condoned the sending away of Ishmael. Yeah. So there is no backup plan anymore. It used to be, well, there is always Ishmael. <laughs> but now there's no Ishmael. Now there might be no Isaac, and yep. he's a, over 100. Yep. So we should be, when we hear these stories... I know it's hard. Like, I'll be the first to admit, it's hard when we're so indoctrinated and we've read it so many times. It's hard to really allow yourself to inch towards the edge of your seat and experience it. Because, I mean, the day should be darkening. We should be thinking about the idea that God maybe isn't as faithful as he said he was going to be. Maybe God is like all the other gods. Maybe God wants the violence. Maybe God desires the human sacrifice. Maybe God is like everybody else. Every other God that is out there. Yep. And he doesn't want them to be a blessing. And right. Maybe God is just going to count his losses. Yeah. You know, these people, they're screwed up. Yeah. Let me just stop this now. Um, there's so much hanging in the balance. So, again, can't. But we won't tell you what we, happened. <laughs> well, the last second, spoiler alert, there is a lamb. You know, it's stuck in a thicket of yeah. thorns, like, near the sacrificial it's, spot. It's like the dumb lamb out of all of yep. them. <laughs> He has the knife above his head. He's ready to plunge it into his son's chest, which if you're a parent is just a... If you allow yourself to just pause long enough to just feel that for a moment, mm-hmm. um, which, again, that's something we don't do very often. Just pause long enough to think about that moment. A son that you love. So he is ready to do the deed, and God's like, No, what are you doing? <laughs> Voice you told from me heaven. to do it. Yeah. Uh, exactly what you told me to do. So God provides the lamb. They sacrifice the lamb. Um, everybody lives happily ever after, only not. Yeah, I think about the story that Isaac tells when he gets home. You know, Dad's going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I, think Dad's I was going tied up. Now. I was on a rock. He was going to kill me until the lamb appeared. Yep. So it's really, it's just a, this story is very rich. And unfortunately, we don't experience it with the value that it deserves. There we go. I think. We had another disruption, and now we're seeing if it's recording. Yeah, it is. (laughs) It is. And I'll try and edit that out. If you're hearing this, I was unsuccessful in my edit. (laughs) Paul had to go tingle. (laughs) Way to blame me, but yes, I did. Um, so we're talking about the suspense that's held up and then followed up by the God providing the lamb. And mm-hmm. then the conversation that probably had, Dad's going senile. <laughs> because yep. he's old. 
And it's at this point in Genesis 23 that Sarah dies. And there's a big, um, the funeral is a big deal. They purchase land. They have, they create a tomb and she's buried. And it's, a uh, again, Abraham's a very wealthy man mm-hmm. and very powerful. And so it's a, a royal burial in a sense. One of the interesting side notes, it says that she was buried at what is now considered Hebron. Mm-hmm. which is one of the seven cities of refuge oh, later, yeah. on, the, later on in the scriptures. Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah, know if that means anything. I just, I just jumped on the page <laughs> for me right now. It has something to do with David as well. Yep. He went to the city. When he yeah. killed somebody, he went to Hebron where he could not be tried and taken out and murdered for mm-hmm. or eye for an eye. He, yep. So people are dying now in the story of old age. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And now the promise dies with Sarah. It has to be Isaac. Yep. Because Sarah has passed. Yep. So Isaac is extremely grieved at the passing of his mother and um he realizes that he needs to go out and be about the work of continuing this family. And so he doesn't find anybody amongst the the crowds or the group of people that are there. But if we go back to, I want to say it was chapter 11, um, there's a passage that says someone has a daughter, Rebecca. And I'm not going to find it right now because I'm trying to look for it. (laughs) But when I was studying, um, we're told earlier who Rebecca's parents are. They're, They're one of the families in the region. So Isaac goes and he travels to another city another community and um, meets this woman Rebecca and um, an interesting little romantic story unfolds and they are married and then in Genesis 25 Abraham dies at 175 years old and then there's a summary of Abraham's offspring and he actually has lots of children yeah um, so it's very interesting because we are left in suspense this whole story thinking that there's only one child that this can happen through. And then if you go to Genesis chapter 25, um, there's a long list of people that are sons of Abraham. There's Isaac, Ishmael, and then a bunch of others. Yeah. Um, but the story isn't about them. <laughs> no, because remember when you started at the beginning, that, that little part of saying, and there was Sarai who was barren. Yep. An important part of that story yep. is that Isaac comes to Sarah, not through any of yep. his other wives. Yep, exactly. So, again, it's very interesting. In his old age, Abraham actually takes another wife whose name was uh, Keturah, and she bore him all these other children, lots of males. So he has other sons in his old age. In his old age, I mean. <laughs> hundred plus, yeah. Um, interesting sub sub-fact is... Josephus, when pinned against the wall by his Roman readers about all the old ages of the Old Testament, like, come on, you can't actually expect these people to have lived this long. Um, He fires back, well, doesn't every ancient culture believe that their um, patriarchs and their original fathers lived long periods of time? And he cites the Greeks, he cites a bunch of different cultures and says, look, all of your stories revolve around people that lived hundreds of years so he kind of like plays it off like look we're all telling the same story essentially so don't don't beef mock on me mine. Yeah. My, yeah yeah if if i'm wrong we're all wrong yeah if, 
so it's just an interesting sub fact i know some people expect us to read all of this very literally and they would say well you know come on do you really think abraham had a child at that age do you think sarah gave birth at 100 and that's not for me to say so much as i want to read the story yeah and the story is the important part that's the yep I mean, ultimately, I believe in a God that does miracles, but whether or not their ages are what they say on the page, that to me does not adulterate the holiness or the sanctity of the text. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That goes back to camels. Yeah. Yeah, it goes back to the camel (laughs) debate. Were they domesticated at the time of Abraham? Uh, Not part of the story. Yeah. Yeah. It's not an integral part. Yep. And now you're jumping all the way, we're jumping all the way to... Galatians and the New Testament for a second yep. to, to wrap this up. Yep. So that story really stood out to us, and um, we wrote songs for children's ministries like Father Abraham had many sons. Many mm-hmm. sons had Father Abraham. we got a guitar if you want one. <laughs> You're doing the hand motions. It's throwing me <laughs> off. I am one of them, and so are you, so let's just praise the Lord. You know, we've most of mm-hmm. us have heard that song, Yeah. Um, and there's actually a lot of truth to it. The lyrics digress from there as you're forced to wave your hands around. <laughs> right, arm, yep. left, arm, yep. right, turn around, sit down. Yeah, that's the... But the yeah. reality is we are all supposed to be. The whole promise of Abraham and the whole New Testament gets into this idea that we have one father, therefore we're all part of one family, therefore we should all get along. Yeah. And not only should we get along, we are going to be that people that blesses all nations. nations. We're really good at that part. <laughs> <laughs> so in Acts of the Apostles, Peter uses Abraham in his teaching in Acts chapter 3. Stephen teaches about Abraham in Acts chapter 7. Because Abraham is an integral part to the Jewish culture. Exactly, yep. He is the father of all. But he's even more important to a church that is now reaching out to Gentiles because going back to earlier comments... Abraham was a Gentile, Gentile when God made him the promise. Yeah, he didn't wait for him to be circumcised, then tell him he's right. going to be a blessing to all nations. Exactly. So that's what the new church is latching on to. Yeah. So um, Stephen has a very has to choose his words very carefully because he's about to die. And he spends a lot of time talking about Abraham and how he works into the story that God is telling. Yeah. So then in um, one of Paul's earliest letters, the letter to the Galatians, he outlines the significance of Abraham um, through several verses. Um, do you want to pick those up? Yep. So Galatians three thirteen through 15, Paul writes that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. For it was written, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. That blessing of Abraham goes all the way back to Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The blessing to be a blessing to all nations. Mm -hmm. And then Galatians chapter 3, 27 through 29, the continuation of chapter 3, it says this. For as many of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. We like that verse quite here, here quite often. We read that one. We do read that one a lot. We talked about that one in our new creation, um, the first two podcasts. 
But Paul's using this as an argument for the inclusion of the Gentiles. He's saying mm-hmm. because of the promise that was made to Abraham when he was a Gentile, this includes everybody. Yeah. This is not inclusive mm-hmm. to just the Jewish nation or just to Isaac's offspring. Paul's also doing something that would tick off his Jewish contemporaries, which is he's predating Moses. Yeah. So everybody wants Paul or good Pharisees, good teachers of the law to talk about Moses and say, well, you know, the law commands this and it forbids this. And Gentiles aren't allowed into the assembly of God and Mm -hmm. so on and so forth. But Paul predates the law and says, yes, but there was this promise first. And it was made to a Gentile. Yeah. But, yeah, Galatians 3 is an amazing chapter. Um, Paul at his best, for sure. It's interesting because I've heard many preachers or people speak on the idea of then you are Abraham's offspring, tying it back to after the after circumcision. Right. That, that is when it happens. It's not tying it back to the blessing right. that God gave or the promise that God gave Abraham before the circumcision, mm-hmm. before the covenant was made. One thing that's interesting that we didn't get into is there is a covenant, like an actual deal that's negotiated between God and Abraham. And so there is uh, two different types of deals, and I can't pronounce the words, so I'm not even going to try. <laughs> but there's two different types of Hebrew Jewish dealings that you could make. One was from a superior to an inferior, kind of like, now you clean up your room or I will smite you. Yeah. And then there was also the... Um, where two people approach as equals and make a deal. Well, in this deal, um, what they would do is they would cut an animal in half and they would split it down like the center, like literally in half, cut the spine and everything, and then they divide it. And then the people that make the promise to abide by this covenant would pass through the two halves of the animal. And by passing through it, you're saying... If I break this covenant, may this happen to me. me. Yeah. And so that happens between Abraham and God. Only Abraham is not required to walk between them. Only God passes between the animals. So there's this crazy deal brokered between God and Abraham that God's like, this is my deal with you. And nothing, yeah, Yeah, nothing nothing is really, yeah. Abraham isn't held to the fire like, hey, you need to do this. Hey, you didn't walk behind me through the carcass of the animals. It's a very one-sided deal that God says, this is something I'm going to do in human history. I'm going to do it through you. And regardless of what you do, this is my promise. Like, it's going to happen. So that's a really interesting passage because nobody expects God to take kind of the inferior. Which he is in that instance. He's taking the full brunt of the whole covenant. Exactly. Yep. Not not conditional on anything that Abraham does. Right. It's a very interesting passage. Um, So then one could then take that portion, that promise that was made, and apply that to the work of Jesus, that it's not necessarily anything you've done, that this new promise, this new covenant through Jesus and through his blood is very much like the Abrahamic covenant, that... God has put all of the liability, all of the, all the chips are falling on God to make this happen. A lot of the covenants afterwards are two-sided. 
Exactly. If man does this, then God does this. Yep. A negotiation. Yep. Yeah, and we see that yep. man fails the covenant over and over again. Yep. Whereas you're saying the covenant, the one of the covenants with Abraham and the covenant, the new covenant of Christ is all dependent on God, nobody else. Exactly. That no matter what stupid stuff humanity does. God is still <laughs> invested. Yeah. That God has made a promise and he's going to see it through with or without our participation. Yeah. So it's interesting. There's so much about Abraham in the New Testament. And we scraped the top. I mean, we yeah. just barely touched. Yeah, we only touched on a couple of verses in Galatians, but Hebrews is rich with crazy stuff about Abraham. I, yeah. I mean, Hebrews is a trippy book to read to begin with, but yeah. um, there's just so much about Abraham in the New Testament. There's a handful of verses through the prophets. Which um, is why it's important <clears throat> to read the Old Testament as well, the New Testament, instead of just saying, I'm going to stick to the teachings of Jesus and Paul's understanding of what Jesus was teaching. Having a good understanding of the Old Testament mm-hmm. helps you read the New Testament, yep. knowing those stories and those narratives. Yeah, because there's a lot of throwbacks. I mean, yeah. a lot of tips of the hat. You know, some are very subtle, and then um, some are very deliberate, and it's almost as if if you don't read that passage of the Old Testament, you will not be able to read or interpret the New Testament passage. Yeah. So, yeah, as much as we'd like to just say, well, you know, the Old Testament, that was kind of bloody. Let's not... Let's not deal with it. <laughs> yeah. There's so much wealth there. Um, um, the literature alone is just amazing. Yeah. So, that's pretty much it. Yeah. So... We actually made it through all our notes. We made it through all the notes, and we're under two hours, which is good. <laughs> But um, I don't know if we're going to record again before we do this, but Dan and I are heading out to Missouri. Yep, to see Brian Zand. See Brian Zand. They have the was it the Water to Wine conference out there. Yep. So we'll either record another one while we're out there on a topic we pick. Probably we're talking about Jonah, but we're not 100% sure. Or we'll just give an overview of what we're talking about there. That could be fine, too. We could, Maybe we'll do a double feature. Yeah. I really want to get into Jonah. He, he likes Jonah for some reason. He likes whales. Wait, is it a whale? It's a big fish story. It's a big fish story. <laughs> <laughs> Christian humor. <laughs> so, dun, what did, dun, dun. so what did you drink this evening? Uh, this evening, I drove, well, drunk. I, I drunk. drunk uh, Dark Horse Crooked Tree uh, IPA. Um, it is, a, it holds its own amongst IPAs. And I chose it because um, it's crooked tree. And many times, if you read through the narrative of Abraham, he is hanging out by the Oaks of Mamre, um, which I probably pronounced wrong. I think of Mamre glands for a second, but no, that's probably not what you're going on. No, but it's a good solid IPA. It's from Dark Horse Brewing, which is in Marshall, Michigan. And um, I've drank it before. I'm sure I will drink it again. I am... I drank Shorts, Bre- Shorts Brews Controverse Ale, Indian Pale Ale. It, it went straight through me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it was good. Um, I really only picked it because it was one of the only things I hadn't drank when I went to Leppings to pick out <laughs> the beer for tonight. <laughs> um, it's good. It's not something that makes me want to keep go back and buy more. But We both did India Pale Ales today. Yes. We got to branch out. So if you want to sponsor yeah. us. <laughs> yeah, we need to visit another town for our beer. Yeah, how about St. Joseph, Missouri? See if they have anything. Yeah. See, see if they have a brewery there. Yeah. Ooh. If you're listening from St. Joseph, Missouri, <laughs> and you want to gift us a beer, we will review it on the podcast. That sounds like a plan because we have people listening in Russia and Papua New Guinea, so why not 
St. Joseph, Missouri. Mm-hmm. So thank you for listening to us again. And yep. um, this is episode 10, talking about Abraham. No, nine. Nine. You're episode getting ahead nine. of yourself. Ten is next week. We'll talk to you guys later.